good to see you guys this weekend. Um, I, a few weeks ago, I shared with you that uh, the doctor was putting me some, through some tests. He had some health concerns. He's brought up the big cancer word. But as of uh, Thursday morning, he informed Laura and I that I have no cancer. And so I'm pretty excited about that. Now, I might slip in the shower tomorrow and break my neck, but today, today, today I'm good, right? But isn't it, isn't it funny when you go through something like that? It just kind of puts everything in perspective, you know, get a different view. And uh, it kind of re-energizes you. Like, you don't know that you're really carrying it, you know? You don't realize the stress. You're like, well, we're just dealing with it. We just trust God. But the minute Laura and I walked out into the parking lot outside the doctor's office, we just fell on each other and cried like a couple of little girls, right? Only for 30 seconds, and I made sure nobody was watching, got in the car, and left, but... You know, it's there, but it makes you think about life differently. And I got to tell you, I'm jacked up now. I mean, I, I probably was distracted for a few weeks, but boy, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited where God is taking us. And uh, on that note, I want to really, I want you to help me do something. I want us to finish this year in an incredibly strong financial way. And I'll tell you why. We've had one of the greatest years we've ever had at Hope Community Church. We opened our new Apex campus last week, and in one weekend, they went from like 1,900 people to like 4,000 people last weekend. So yeah, you were part of that. Your sacrifice, you made that happen. And I know everybody's worried, like, where is everybody? Well, we actually have some empty seats so we can bring our family and friends and we can fill these seats up. And I know there's a big concern. Are you going to be at Apex all the time? Are you kidding me? Who's my favorite? You know you are. You know you're my friend. I mean, as close as that is to Fuquay, you're still my favorite. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm excited. We've done some things globally and locally like we've never done before. We still have some phenomenal opportunities. We have an opportunity right now. There's an empty facility, a church facility sitting in North Raleigh. Where we, well, we have a chance, but here's the key. We have to finish this year strong financially because we hadn't budgeted for this. And so, you know, maybe even if you paid off your unleashed, you got, a, you got a bonus you weren't expecting, you've done better this year than you were planning on. If you could help us, if you haven't c connected yet with Hope Community Church financially, uh, as you think about your year-end giving, think about it. And uh, let's just see what God is going to do. I'm pretty excited about it. Now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, We've been in this series that we're calling Hope Where You Are, and in this series, we've been asking this question, God, if I could get my priorities, if I could get my values lined up with your priorities and your values, God, what would you like to use me to do? God, who would you like to use me to reach? And I've been super encouraged by the feedback of some of you as you realize God wants to use you, and he wants to use you in a great way. In fact, I got a phone call Monday evening from a friend. He says, I got to tell you, Mike, I heard your message last weekend, so I got up on Monday morning. I did something that I've never done before. I prayed and I said, God, it's a new day. What would you like to see me do today? God, who would you like me to reach or impact today? He said, Mike, I'd never prayed that before. And he says, I went to work and that morning, God brought a single mom who just moved here from Syria with three children no job or anything across my path. He says, I was able to give her a job. I called some of my friends at Hope. We rallied around her. We've got her settled. She's moving in a positive direction. And, and I could just hear it in his voice. See, there's nothing more exciting than knowing that God worked through you to impact another person's life. And you know it wasn't you. You know that it was God that was working through you. That's what we're talking about in this series. How do we position ourselves to be used greatly by God? And we've seen that God's criteria for greatness in his kingdom, we've seen that it's totally different than the criteria for greatness in the world system. And the reason is because, see, God's objective is so different than the objective in the world system. Because, see, in the world system in which we live, we're basically clients. 
We're basically customers. We're a means to someone else's end. But see, in the kingdom of God, people are the end. And because of that, we've learned in this series that the stuff that God is looking for, if he's gonna use them greatly, is much different than we would expect. We've seen that God is just simply looking for people who are available. They have an available heart. He's looking for people who have a pure heart, an unmixed heart that lines up with the heart of God. He's looking for people like Daniel who have an obedient heart and they're gonna be obedient to God's word regardless of the consequences. He's looking for people who are able to see when God begins to nudge us to do great things, we begin to see not obstacles, but we see opportunities for God to show up and display his power in our lives. And then last weekend, we saw that God is looking for people who have an eternal perspective. In other words, God is looking for people who are able to look past this life and they're willing to make adjustments right now in this life in light of what they know is to come. It's people who understand that there's the 60, 70, 80, 90 years we get on this earth and then there's all eternity and that this is really just a warm-up show for the big show when we have the opportunity to spend all eternity with God. Now this weekend, we're gonna shift gears a little bit and over the next couple of weeks, I want us just to think about this. What positions a church to be used greatly by God? We've been talking about what positions us as individuals to be used greatly by God, but what would position us as a church to be used greatly by God, and maybe another way to think about it would be this, from God's perspective, what makes a church great? And if you were to ask someone that question, the average person, what makes a church great, you're gonna get all kinds of answers. You're gonna need, like, you need a good location, you need good music, you gotta have a great facility, you gotta have great youth programs, great teen programs, great children programs, you need to be baptizing a lot of people. You gotta have deep teaching. You gotta have people in small groups. You know, you gotta give a lot of money to missions all around the world. There are all kinds of things that people assume you need if you're going to be a great church. But what's interesting is generally, generally, it boils down to things that you can count. In other words, people basically are saying a great church is a church that has the right numbers in the right places. Now, I get to travel a lot. I get to talk to church leaders and pastors all across the country. What do you think the number one question is they ask me when they find out I pastor Hope Community Church? They ask me this, what are you running? In other words, how many numbers, how many people show up? To which I usually respond, yeah, we're not, kind of, we're not really a running church. We're more of a, more of a laid back church. Only people run at Hope are those who are trying to get out during the last prayer to beat everybody out of the parking lot. But that's, a, that's all we run at Hope, right? But what they want to know is how many numbers do you have? What kind of numbers do you have? But what we're going to learn over the next couple of weekends is that what God is looking for in a church can't be counted. What God is really looking for in a church, you can't put on a chart. And I got to tell you, this topic is really important to me because as you know, I grew up in church. Now, a lot of you didn't grow up in church. You're new to church. It's kind of fresh and exciting. Not me, really. I was, I'm sure I was born in the nursery at church. I'm not, I, doubt even, I doubt my mom even missed that weekend, right? And I have been going to church for 60 years. And so I just want to be honest with you. The idea of going to church, I hate to say this, has never been that appealing to me. In fact, when I was your age and I would go to church and I would see the pastor, I think, That's the, that is the worst job in the world. He has to go to church every weekend. See, I do now because I'm a kid, but boy, when I grow up, I'm gonna go to the beach, the mountains. I'm gonna be like a real person, right? And then guess, you know, God's sense of humor. Here I am stuck with you people every weekend, right? <laughs> but I've never been all that interested in just going to church. In fact, I'm still not all that interested in just showing up for church every weekend. I'm certainly not interested in just being a part of a religious country club. But I'm incredibly interested in being a part of something that God is doing. 
I'm far more interested in that than I am in going to church. In fact, if I'm going to go to church, I don't really care if it's a small church or if it's a large church. That's pretty irrelevant to me. I want to make sure it's a church that has its values, its priorities, its goals, its objectives in alignment with God's priorities and values and goals and objectives so that God is free to work. I want to be a part of the real thing. I am not interested in just another church service, another church program. I'm not interested in just another church activity or maybe a church project. I want to experience what God intended the body of Christ, the church, to be. And to be honest, isn't that what you want? I mean, isn't that why you're here? Isn't that why you put up with the hassle? I mean, it's like six flags over Jesus around here. I mean, you got to get on a shuttle. You got to like line up to get your kids in Kid City. Isn't that why you go through the hassle? Don't you want to be a part of something that God is actually using to make a difference in the world, to change the world? But I want to let you know something up front. What I'm going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, it has a lot more to do with you than it does with me. And I say that because when you look into the New Testament at the criteria for a great church, it never mentions great sermons. It never mentions gifted communicators. You know what it talks about? It talks about what you guys do. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about the next couple of what you guys need to do. And here's going to be the challenge. We're going to have to decide, are we willing to corporately do what it takes to become the kind of church that God can use? Are we willing to make the kind of decisions that need to be made that will allow God to show up as a part of this congregation and do his thing? Will we, will we make the decision to be a church where God feels free to be himself so that we get the opportunity that many people don't get to, get to experience? We get the opportunity to experience the real deal. I think that's what you want. I know that's what I want. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that God in his word has given us the formula so that we can be that kind of church. I want to look, look at that just a few minutes this weekend. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. If you, don't bring, if you don't have your Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. John chapter 13, very familiar passage. Let me give you the background. Jesus is in the upper room. He's with his disciples. It's the last night that he's going to be with them. In just a few hours, he's going to be nailed to a cross. He knows that. They don't know that, he knows that. So he has some last minute truths that he wants to get across to them. So he's having this last Passover meal with them. And if you look at the parallel passage over in Luke chapter 22, sometime during this meal, an argument, a debate, a discussion breaks out about who's gonna be great in the kingdom, who's gonna get to sit on the right hand of Jesus, who's gonna get to sit on the left hand, because as we saw last weekend, people were still looking, even the disciples were still looking for Jesus to become the king of the Jews and take the throne as the king of Israel. So they're wondering, who's going who's to be in his cabinet? What significant roles are we going to have? So Jesus, he hears this debate going on, and instead of just addressing it and coming down hard on him, it says that he gets up from the table, takes off his outer robe, gets a basin of water and a towel, and he goes around and he washes the disciples' feet. And then he sits back down and he says, do you understand what I've done to you? And he says, as I've done to you, you ought to do to one another. In other words, you need to have that, that, that attitude of humility. You need to be willing to serve one another. But then he gives them the one single criteria for greatness in his kingdom. John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you. Now understand, he's talking to Jewish men who had lived under laws and commandments their entire lives. They could quote the book of Leviticus. They could quote the book of Deuteronomy. They knew the do's, the don'ts, the thou shalt's, and thou shalt not's. They knew all that stuff. But then Jesus comes along and says, I got a brand new command I want to lay on you. Love one another. 
as I have loved you, so you must. It's not an option. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Not if you go to church. Not if you have a fish on the back of your car. Not if you're in a small group. Not if you read the Bible. Not just because you pray. Not if you sing. None of the stuff that's so important to us. Jesus says there's this one characteristic that will identify us as his followers. It's how we love one another. It's not even how we love outsiders. It's not even how we love unbelievers. And let's face it, sometimes it's actually a lot easier to love the outsider and the unbeliever than it is for us to actually love one another. But understand the one thing that will mark us as disciples, the one thing that will mark us as followers of Jesus Christ is that we get to the point in our relationships where we can love one another sacrificially as God has loved us. Now, do you know what that tells me? That tells me that if Jesus were to show up here one weekend, if he were to evaluate our church, he would only have one question, and it wouldn't be how big, it wouldn't be how many, how many campuses, it would be, do you love one another the same way I love you? Now, let me just say this. If you are a driven type A person, this is a little bit disappointing. Because, see, you want the criteria for a great church to be based on great strategies, evaluation, measurement. See, those things don't lie. You, you want to have a 10-year plan down on paper. You want to be able to chart it. You need some dashboards, an economic forecast. Nothing wrong with any of that. But you got to understand that's not what Jesus is looking for. The church that Jesus is looking for is the church that primarily is committed to loving one another. Now let me ask you a question. Why is this so important? Why was it so important to Jesus that in the last few minutes he has with his disciples, this is what he lays on them? Well, you gotta understand, it's because God is in the business of changing lives. And God knows that the optimal environment for life change is the environment of love. And if he's going to entrust a church with unbelievers... If he's going to entrust a church with new believers and hurting believers, if he's going to entrust a church with damaged believers, he's going to entrust them to, or, and just, he's going to do it, he's going to entrust them to a group of people that understand how to love each other. Because you got to understand the only place those people are going to heal, the only place those people are going to recover, the only place those people are going to move forward is in an environment of love. Now, let me just say, this isn't about us being nice to each other so we can be a nice church, okay? It's not that shallow. I think all of us have been to churches where everybody was nice to each other, except us. We just kind of sat on the row by ourselves, the seat by ourselves. They were nice to each other, but they weren't nice to us. We're not talking about that. We're not even talking about, you know, can't we all just get along? We're not talking about that. This is about establishing a community of love, not for the sake of our church community, but for the sake of impacting the world. And all the other stuff, the teaching, the music, the programs, the facilities, the buildings, that only is important if it helps us create an environment of love. By the way, I've been doing this professional church stuff for a long time. And I'll let you in on a secret. Churches typically split. You ever been to a church that split? Churches typically blow up, sometimes even shut down and go out of business, not because their pastor can't teach 
Not because their music stinks, not because their building is ugly. Churches split, they blow apart, sometimes shut down because the people just don't love each other. And when the outsiders, the people outside the church hear about it, you know what the response is? You know what? That church is no different than my work. That church is no different than my neighborhood. In fact, my work in neighborhood isn't as bad as that church. And if they can't even get along with each other, why in the world would I ever go there? And I'll tell you, that is the number one reason, that is the main reason that the church is losing its impact in our society. It's the number one reason that the church is no longer salt and light, and it's because, see, we can't get along with one another any better than the rest of society can get along with one another. So Jesus says, you may never have great teaching. You may never have great music. You may never have great programs and buildings. But you got to love one another. Because that's what's going to set you apart from the rest of the world. In fact, that's how the people outside the church will know that you really are my followers. So understand, over the next couple of weeks as we talk about this, understand this is not for the sake of us. It really is for the sake of actually reaching the triangle and changing the world. Jesus says that's what's at stake. Now, let me just ask you a question. What would it look like if a community of people, us, you know, really loved each other this way? Well, it's interesting. The New Testament consists of a bunch of letters that guys like Peter and James and Paul wrote to all of these new little churches that were established in the first century. And these letters basically did two things. One, they taught what to believe. Two, they explained how to love one another. That's all they did. They taught the churches what to believe, and they explained to them how to love one another. And often in these letters, these books that we now have in the New Testament, often the writers, these men who wrote them, they would refer back to the very same verses that we just looked at in John chapter 13. Because you got to understand the main challenge for the New Testament churches in the first century was the same challenge that churches face today. You know what it was? People just could not get along. And the apostles' concern was this, how are we ever going to reach the world if we can't even get along with ourselves? And so these guys spent a lot of time describing what it looks like to actually love one another. And if you were to take the time and do the study, you would discover that there are 26 one another's in the New Testament. You know, love one another, encourage one another, build up one another, reprove one another, correct one another, serve one another. 26 one another's. And basically, you can break them down into four categories that give us four keys to loving one another. This is what we learn. You got to accept one another. You got to forgive one another. You've got to submit to one another. And you got to care for one another. In other words, what God is saying to us is this. If you want to be the kind of church where I would be excited to show up, if you want to be the kind of church where I'm free to do what I want to do in the hearts and lives of people, If you want to be the kind of church where I can bring in outsiders because, see, I can trust you with them, it's got to be a church that's known, not for its great teaching or music or buildings or facilities. It's got to be known as a place where people accept one another and they forgive one another and they submit to one another and they care for one another. In other words, if we want to maximize our full kingdom potential as a church, those four things have to be present. And that's why I said earlier, this has got a lot more to do with you than me. In fact, it pretty much depends on how 
you decide you're going to respond to these four things. So let's just look at them. I'm going to look at two this weekend. We'll look at two next weekend. Let me give you the first one. The first key to loving one another, we have to accept one another. This is what Paul said in in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. By the way, let me just say this. Often when we use the word accept, I accept you, what we're really saying is this. I tolerate you. Right. Not accept, we really tolerate. In other words, I'm just going to tolerate you the way you are. I'm not going to try to change you, but I ain't going to hang out with you. This guy, you ever been to church where they say, I love you in the Lord? That's this. I can't stand your guts, but since we're in church, I love you in the Lord. See, right, right. So we're really just tolerating each other, but we use the word accept. This is what's interesting. The Greek word that Paul uses for accept has nothing to do with tolerating someone. In fact, the word that Paul uses is always used in the New Testament in reference to someone being accepted into a family, someone who is accepted into an inner circle of friends. It literally means to take in an individual, to receive an individual. It carries with it the connotation, listen, I'm going to be involved with you in such a way, I'm going to allow you to get close to me. Let me give you a definition for acceptance. Acceptance is the ability to receive another person without inner restrictions or outer requirements. See, the inner restrictions have to do with our prejudices. There are some people in our life we naturally put up our hands because we have these inner restrictions built into our life. Sometimes it's based on color. Sometimes it's based on nationality. Sometimes it's based on economic level. But see, if you're gonna truly accept someone in a biblical sense, you gotta throw that out the window. The outer requirements would have to do with performance. In other words, when we accept someone, this is what we're saying. Regardless of who you are and regardless of what you've done, you belong here. I accept you. I receive you. What is our mission statement? Love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. When we love people where they are, we're saying regardless of who you are, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your economic level, regardless of what you've done, I have room in my life for you. I receive you. And I want you to notice the comparison in verse 7. How are we to accept one another? Accept one another then as Christ accepted you. Now let me ask you a question. How has Christ accepted you? Well, was it as soon as you deal with your bad habits and get your act together, call me? No. Jesus said, I'm going to accept you with your past. I'm going to accept you in light of where you are right now. And I'm going to accept you, even though I already know you're going to do some really, really bad stuff in the future. I'm bringing you into my family. I am bringing you into my inner circle, fully knowing who you are and what you're going to do. By the way, you want a great example? How about a guy named Judas? Who Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. But even the last night that Jesus was on this earth, he knelt down and he washed Judas' feet. And Paul tells us that when a church really loves one another, we will be willing to accept one another the very same way. It doesn't matter how old, how young, doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter where they've been, what they've been up to, what they might do. They're in. They're accepted. And I'm not going to lie to you, that is so hard for so many of us because we are so self-centered. 
I mean, most of us, we only want to be with people we like or maybe people we want to be like. But see, people we don't know, people we don't identify with, it's difficult. And Jesus is like, of course it's difficult. Love is difficult. But to adopt any other standard is to adopt the world standard. And the world standard is hang out with people you like. Hang out with people you want to be like. Hang out with people who have the potential to make your life better. Don't waste your time on people who can't do anything for you. And certainly don't waste your time on people who are different from you. What good is that to you? Jesus, no, 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 no. you got to turn that upside down. Because you've got to be a church where people feel like they belong. Even if they're different. And that's hard. But understand, that's what God is looking for. Now, Laura told me one time, she said, you could never run for political office. And I said, why? She says, because so much of what you said has been recorded and documented. <laughs> and I thought, dang it, you're right. You're right. But I, I want this to go on the record. If you're new to Hope, you don't have to be anything to be a part of this church. You can be a sinner, just like its pastor, and come on in. Okay. We got to accept one another. There's room in my life for you. And then second, we have to forgive one another. We were feeling so good about that acceptance part, right? (laughs) Look what Paul said in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just just as in Christ God forgave you. So he says you gotta forgive one another. By the way, do you know what that assumes? It assumes we're gonna mess up. It assumes that we're gonna make mistakes. It assumes we're gonna mistreat and irritate each other. See, it assumes that we're gonna take somebody else's favorite seat. It assumes that we're gonna volunteer and sign up for something and not show up. It assumes that we're gonna park in the wrong place. I mean, I want you just to look around. Just look around at the crowd this morning. You are surrounded by people who have the ability and the potential to offend you at any given moment. And we know that. We know that, but when it happens, we act surprised. We act shocked. You ever heard somebody say, I can't believe a Christian would do that, you know, right? Paul says, be prepared. (laughs) Christians are going to do that, and it's going to go both ways. So if we're going to be a church that really loves one another, I got four things I want to show you. First of all, we have to quit being shocked when someone offends us. Second, we have to quit gossiping when we get offended. You ever go to your small group? I can't believe what they did to me. Third, we have to develop a lifestyle of forgiving when we're offended. We have to get to the point where we live in this constant state of forgiveness. So let's do this. Let's just go ahead and accept the fact that we're going to mistreat each other. In fact, let's not even set an unrealistic goal that we're going to stop offending each other. That is never going to happen. This is the goal. The goal is to care enough to forgive each other when we are offended. Because see, it's the refusal to forgive that destroys relationships. It's the refusal to forgive, not the offense, it's the refusal to forgive that destroys churches. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn and look someone in the eye. Just do it. Don't stare at me. Look someone in the eye. I'll be here all day. I got nowhere to go. Football doesn't start till one. Okay, look them in the eye, and, if, and now, now you got to repeat after me this three phrases I'm going to give you. 
Okay, here's the first one. Just say it to each other. I, I am going to forgive you. Keep looking at them. Why are you laughing? This is serious stuff, people. Now we got to start all over. I am going to forgive you. No matter how bad you treat me. There's too much at stake not to. And I say, I can tell that really came from your heart. See? 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 Now, why is this so important? Let me ask you a question. How is God going to use a church to communicate to the world that he forgives when those of us who are in the church can't even forgive each other? See, I have this conversation with my, my staff all the time. I deal with this all the time. I got 162 staff here at Hope. You know what I hear all the time? How come I wasn't informed? That should have gone through me. I'm not talking to him. He made a decision. He didn't consult me first. You know, like a little bunch of babies all the time, right? I'll punch them in the throat. I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. HR won't let me. Yet. Yet. Let me tell you something. There's a lot more at stake. When we think about a church, there's a lot more at stake than just a little turf war between you and whoever you're mad at. You got to understand our effectiveness as a church is at stake. The ability to reach our maximum kingdom potential is at stake. Now, let's just be honest, but let's just make it real this weekend. Some of you are sitting listening to me right now because somebody at your last church made you mad, right? They made you so angry. And you're like, I'll show you. I'll leave this church and I'll go to hope, right? So you're here. But you're still mad. You're still angry. In fact, anybody, anytime somebody says, hey, how did you end up at Hope? You just tell them the whole story of how they offended you and how mad you are, right? Do you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to forgive them. He wants you to make it right. He may even want you to go back to that church. Because, see, if you don't, you're just going to continue the trend. You're just going to find somebody at this church, and somebody eventually is going to offend you. You're just going to find somebody at this church. Look, there's people right now leaving, going back to their own church. I, 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 <laughs> gosh, man, I'm good. Did I tell you I was on this new medication? Oh, yeah. That had nothing to do with that. I just said, I'm just kidding. So you got to do it because if you don't begin to live that way, you know what? You're going to find somebody here to be angry at, and you're going to mess up this church. And then me and my family have to leave. And other people have to leave because we want to be a part of what God is doing. And see, we're just kind of committed to forgiving one another no matter what because we understand what's at stake. But your anger and your lack of forgiveness, see, you got to understand, it's detrimental to what God can do here. So let me just ask you a question. Let me wrap it up. Are you mad at somebody in this church? Just be honest. Are you mad at somebody? For the sake of this church, for the sake of our lost friends, how about for the sake of our family members that we want to see come to Christ? Please, just go make it right. And if you're mad at me and I'm going to offend you, 
because I'm just like you. If you're mad at me, let's get it right. Leaving is stupid. You know the only biblical reason to leave a church? It's a family. You know why? Doctrinal. If we're teaching something that's contrary to the word of God, that'd be a great reason to leave. But other than that, if you're mad at me about something, don't leave. Let's make it right. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. If I can't, then I need to grow up in that area. But let's deal with it. Because understand there is more at stake than our differences. Our maximum kingdom potential as a church is at stake. Now, why is this so important? You see, I believe there's a devil. I believe there's demons. I believe in all that stuff. And I also believe that Satan hates churches like hope. Because this actually is a church where we do love and do accept and do forgive one another. And Satan would love nothing more than to mess that up. So we have to deal with it. So here's the question we're asking. What do you want to see God do in this church? I'll tell you what he wants to do. He wants us to reach the world. He wants us to change lives. He wants us to make disciples. And the extent to which we're able to do that as a church hinges strictly on our ability to love one another. I didn't do this in the other services. You know, at the end of the book of Romans, Paul said, greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> right now, some of you singles are thinking, dang it, why did I sit here? But no. <laughs> but you know what happened over time because we got so sophisticated? You see, it used to be, it was actually part of communion. They would take the bread and the cup and then they would kiss each other on the cheek. And then they got sophisticated, and it went to the back of the hand. And then eventually, they kissed the scroll that the Bible was wrapped in. And then eventually, we stopped it all together. So I want you to just put your arm around the person beside you. Come on. You don't even know him. Maybe you've never seen him before. We might have some marriages come out of this. Well, be careful. I see two women over there. So anyway, it's the world we live in, where we live in, love people where they are. Okay. Put your arm around him. Say, love you. Not in the Lord, just love you. All right, we're happy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for a church that does love, accept, forgive one another. And next week, as we talk about submitting to and caring for, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be that kind of family. We want to be a church that the, the outside of the community looks at us and says, I don't know what's going on there. But I like what I see. And I may even want to be a part of it. And Father, we do this not so our church grows. We do it in such a way that you can be lifted up, your son, Jesus Christ. Because when he's lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. We love you. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for giving us the love in our hearts to love one another. In your name we pray, amen.